Yeah, that's right. You found the People Make Things podcast. This is a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsuume. The internet knows me a little bit better as Nine Squirrels. So I want to start out today talking a little bit about the fact that this is the 11th episode and what the last 10 episodes have been like. So I'm pretty excited about how the podcasts have been coming. I'm pretty excited about the interviews and the responses that we've been getting. I've certainly learned a lot about podcasting the last 10 episodes. There's some stuff that we're going to be changing. One of the big things uh, I've learned is, holy shit, my podcasts are too long. And we're going to be shortening them quite a bit. I'm going to try to get them down under about an hour each, which means we're going to be doing a smaller section up front here where I'm talking. Because really, honestly, I've gone back and listened to myself. And I could have made all of these points in at least half as much time. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to be a little bit more on point up front and uh, maybe edit myself a bit more. And then on the back end, I've, I've got some strategies for kind of cutting a little bit of the you know front end, get to know you chatter out of the interviews and getting kind of right down to the meat of the information that I think people want to get out of the interviews. But the, the feedback that I've gotten from the, from the podcast so far has been largely positive. Uh, we've gone up pretty quickly in the number of people who are listening. One of the big lessons that I have learned has been if you don't advertise your podcast, nobody comes to it. And and I've got some pretty interesting data on that. For those of you who aren't already on the Discord, at the if you go to the SoundCloud link for this uh, thing, there's a link to my Discord channel. It's the Nine Squirrels Discord channel. And I've actually been posting uh, how many viewers have been Viewers, listeners, listeners, how many listeners have been listening to each podcast and uh, the, the things I've been doing and where I've been posting these and the effects that we've gotten. Uh, I've gotten huge response out of posting these on Reddit, actually, and finding specific Reddit boards that are interesting for people uh, and having those people listen to it. So I've been trying some other stuff. I, I would love to have people come and join the conversation about how we can grow the podcast more and what we can be changing. I'm, I'm very eager to hear comments from people on what we can do to make this more interesting and more relevant to people, blah, blah, blah. So please go check that out. Uh, and it's interesting because this actually leads me into uh, the thing I wanted to talk about today, which is the, the joy of ignorance, I guess, is what I want to say. And, and, and this is, this, I know that sounds a little bit, uh, ridiculous, but, but bear with me. I, I was talking to my wife the other day and she asked me, she said, how do you have the energy to do all of this stuff? You know, she's been watching me put the podcast together and she knows that I, I run a company and, you know, I've got a lot of things going on in my life and I travel, I do over a hundred thousand miles a year I, with everything that's going on. She was like, how, how did you, why, why, why do you do all of this? And I, I thought about it cause I hadn't, I'd not really, I'd not really questioned this. And I said, you know, the thing is every time I look at something, whether it's a book or a, a video game or a podcast or something, there's a little part of me inside that says, I bet I could do that. I, I bet I could do that and do it pretty well. And the truth is that's ignorance. That That's pure ignorance. You know, it was about a year ago I started live streaming and I started live streaming because I was interested in what live streamers were doing. 
And I, I wanted to get live streamers involved in our projects and, and have them start playing our game. And I thought, you know, it would be better if I actually understood what life as a live streamer was like. And what better way to understand that than to go try to do it. And so I, you know, installed OBS and, and you know, went and looked at some live streams and, and started doing it. And my first, you know, I went back and looked at some of my early live streams and yeah, they're terrible, but they got better. And I, I think that's the, the heart of the creative process is to just not have that fear and to have that level of ignorance where you look at something and you say, yeah, I could do that. I mean, you look at somebody play guitar and you say, well, you know, he's just plucking strings and moving his hands. And of course, it's more complicated than that. Of course, guitarists spend their entire lives learning how to be better guitarists or drummers or, or whatever people learn how to do. But there has to be that one step, that one sort of basic mental step where you say to yourself, yeah, I bet I could do that. Because if, if you can't make that, that one step, the rest of it's all impossible, right? And then there's the next step, which is, I bet I could, I bet I could improve on that. I, I bet I, bet, you know, I'm looking at what they're doing, and I think I could do that better. And that's the, that's the artist's step. That if you don't think you can do it better, then why are you bothering to do it? What, what's the point? Is somebody already doing it better than you? So you have to think, I can do that, and I can do that maybe even a little better. And that's that's the heart of doing stuff. And so I, I went and I listened to a bunch of podcasts, and I thought. Yeah, that's just dudes talking on a microphone. I, I can talk on a microphone. I can do that. Interviewing people. I know I know interesting people. I can do that. And of course, of course, that's conceited and it's shallow and it's egotistical. Of course, all those things are true. Of course, the podcasters out there are doing it way better than me. And of course, there are more interesting people to talk to than will ever talk to me. And of, of course, all of that shit's true. But if you if you're too aware of that, it's going to just sit in front of you as this great big huge barrier that you're never going to get past. And so you have to have some level of ignorance. I'll tell you a story. I used to work for a game studio called Crytek. Um, you may know Crytek as the makers of Far Cry and uh, Crisis and some other stuff. I worked with them uh, on their very first title. Uh, it was called Far Cry. And I was the producer for the very first Far Cry. And I was involved not just in the production of the game, but I was also involved in helping to organize and, and plan for the tech team that built the Cry Engine, which was the, the game engine that uh, Far Cry was built on. So I was involved in both of those processes. And I remember uh, working with Chevat. Chevat was the, one of the three brothers that ran the studio and, and the creative genius behind Crytek. He remains the creative genius behind Crytek and, and probably one of the most bold entrepreneurs I've ever met. Um, I will say this about Chevat. He had a certain level of this kind of ignorance about him. And I, I don't mean that to say that, you know, Chevat wasn't intelligent. He was an extremely intelligent guy, but he had not made games before. I mean, that's just a fact. He was young. He had not published a game before. And he was not aware of how hard it was to do a bunch of the stuff that we were doing. And I remember there was a, there was a, studio called Havoc that was a was an Irish studio and they, they made this uh, physics engine that did all of this amazing physics you know uh, uh, you know uh, rigid body physics and and you know uh, all of these you know making joints work properly and and it was I won't get into the details highly technical stuff and they put out a demo and this was work that that Obviously, a team of, of, you know, 20 or more people had spent years putting all of this together. It was an amazing demo. And I remember Chevak coming into the room and, and showing this demo and pointing at it and saying, I want all of that. 
I want all of that in our game. And I was like, uh, okay, let's go license Havoc. He's like, no, 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 I want it in our engine. I want that to be part of what we sell as a cry engine. I want all of these features. And uh, I was like, uh, Cheva, you you know that that took. He's like, I don't want to. I don't want to know what that took them. I've got this programmer, and he's really smart, and he can do it. I give him six weeks, and I remember just being stunned and thinking, "This is madness. You can't you can't just throw a programmer at something like this and and say, you know, replicate this incredible amount of very." uh involved physics in six weeks this is this is madness um but we pulled the programmer in he was a a very bright um fellow from eastern europe and he to put it bluntly shared chevat's ignorance um and not that he was not an incredibly intelligent person he's probably one of the best programmers i ever worked with but he just didn't have this background of experience that told him that he couldn't do this. Instead, he had the sort of ignorance of, of youth and inexperience. And he was like, yeah, I could do all of that. I totally see how all that works. And I'll be fucked. He went and did it. And in six weeks, he had most of those features pretty well replicated. Of course, it was buggy. Of course, it had problems. Of course, it wasn't totally exactly what we'd asked for. But it, the amount of work that he managed to do in that six weeks, just because nobody had ever told him he couldn't do it, was shocking. And I came out of that process a changed man. I, I, I guess when I went to Crytek originally, I thought of myself as being a... I, I guess I thought a lot of myself. I had been working in games for quite a while. I'd worked with quite a few people. I had worked in a number of studios. And to be blunt... Most of the people at Crytek, when I got there, had not. They had, they didn't have the, the depth of experience that I had. That was just a, a fact. And I thought a lot of myself back then. I thought, wow, I really know things. I'm going to go over. I'm going to teach these guys stuff. And what ended up happening was exactly the opposite. They all kind of schooled me pretty hard on what you could do if you didn't come in with a whole lot of biases about what you already thought could or couldn't be done. And that was that was maybe one of the best lessons I ever got. I'll give you another example, and it's one that uh, I, I hate to I hate to give this example because my business partner comes out of it looking really good. Um, I was working at another studio up in Scotland, and we were putting together a project for it was a it was a platformer game. You ran around, you jumped on things. It, it doesn't matter. It was a, you ran around and jumped on things kind of game, and it was for console and. We were put. I was the I was the director of the project, and we were putting together this big, involved design for this project. Um, and it, you know, exactly where you were going to jump, and how you were going to jump, and how it was all going to work. And they had assigned this producer to the project, um, and the producer would not let us get started with the project until we had a very complete design doc for exactly how it was all going to be laid out, and exactly how everything was going to work. And and putting you know the level of documentation they required for this together uh, was it was a very painstaking process and I, I can remember being pretty upset by it and you know can we just kind of get started and do some prototyping or something no 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 if we do all that then you know it's gonna we're gonna waste all kinds of efforts we should make sure we have everything planned out perfectly before we get started and so I I went ahead with it and and you know we we putting all this stuff together and while this was happening. Uh, they hired in this brand new uh, programmer, straight out of college, really skippy, ready to go programmer, a guy named Alan. And Alan was ready to go. 
and he was like, you know, let's let's build this thing. And we, no, 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 Alan, you can't build this thing yet. You need to uh, you slow down. We haven't got the whole design figured out yet. So you know, and but Alan was ready to build some stuff, and so Alan came in uh, for a couple uh, evenings or a weekend. It's been a while. I forget exactly when he came in and did it, but basically he came in and wrote the base engine for the game, and. He had the, the animation engine running. He had the collision engine running. He had everything. It, basically, he had a little animated character that you could run around with a controller and make him jump on things, which is, of course, the heart of what you need if you're going to build a platformer game where you run around and jump on things. And he was totally excited about it. He comes to me one day after work. He's like, Chris, come on. Let's go. go let's look, look at this thing I made. And so I go over to take a look at this thing that, that Alan has quietly put together with one of the animators. And holy shit, it was really good. It played really well. It was really fluid. It felt really good. You could run around. You could jump. You could play animations. And and I was I was I was pulled in by his excitement. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Let's go show that producer and let's go show the creative director. And we got slapped down so hard because we weren't supposed to have built anything yet, right? And uh, do you like how I put the we in there? Like I had anything to do with it? I totally didn't. It was all Alan. But I like to say we because I was one of the people that showed it to him. But but I can remember Alan's look like a like a hurt puppy that he had just you know he just made his first thing in a game studio and he was so excited to show it off and you know the people who knew better were like no 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 you're not supposed to do that yet there's all this other stuff and and I remember thinking at the time yeah fuck these guys I I can remember like wow this is this this place is not going to go anywhere and I actually did leave pretty quick after that because I I I just didn't want to be a part of the way that they made games anymore and, and you know, in my defense, that studio did take about five years to finally ship that product. And it was long after I left and long after Alan had left. And I don't think that that project made any money or certainly didn't get any rave reviews or anything. So, I you know, I, I think I probably made the right decision there. But again, it was that case of somebody who just didn't know. I mean, and at that point, Alan had a certain level of ignorance about how the industry worked and how, you know, big game studios like that worked. And he thought you know what, I've got the tools and the technology, why don't we just go ahead and build a prototype and we can work from that? And and the truth was, Alan was right. Alan was absolutely right to make that decision. Alan was right to make that prototype. And the reason I left that studio was, no, there were a lot of reasons I left that studio, but the the the, the real thing, the, 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 this particular episode was the thing that convinced me that this was a studio that was going to put experience above ignorance. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Of course you put experience above ignorance, but, but kind of you don't, right? Because that experience, you experience itself has no value. Experience is just this, this big toolbox that you can reach into. And sometimes some of those tools from your experience are valid, useful tools, but you know what? A bunch of those tools are outdated. I feel sometimes like my experience is like, I got this box in my room and it's the box where all the cables go. And I think everyone, everyone who works in technology has got one of these. It's where all the, you know, every time I get a new electronic toy or something, there's always the shit that comes with it. Here's the cables and the extra batteries and the remote and all of that. And it all goes in that box, right? And over time, that box just fills up with you know, the the old versions of USB that you don't use anymore and coaxial cables that you don't use. I got all these tools in that box. And at one point, all of those cables and tools, they were all of value. But you know what? I, I don't really 
use most of them anymore because the world has moved on. And my experience is the same thing. If I'm always going back to my experience and pulling those tools out and thinking this is the right tool because it was the right tool five years ago, it's not true. And more often than not, the new thing that you brought in, which comes from that ignorance, that not having the old coaxial cable and trying to figure out how to make that work on your MP3 player, um, sometimes that's the better deal. And in, and in this case, uh, that certainly was the case. And it's something I have to be acutely aware of now. I work in a studio where I am the senior person. Uh, there's nobody in the studio, including my business partner, who has made games as long as I have. And, and in fact, in the industry... Uh, the vast majority of people who I meet have made games much less time than me. That's that's just a that's a fact. I've been making games well over twenty years. But the reality is, almost all of that experience before the last five years or so is largely irrelevant. We work in an industry where things change so fast. We work in an industry where technology and the the underlying uh, realities of what we do. Uh, change so rapidly the distribution systems the way what people expect in their games blah blah blah. i could go into it for for hours but essentially this entire industry reinvents itself like every two years and so for me to say oh well that thing can't be done or i've done it before and it doesn't work like that or blah 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 it's largely incorrect and even though i have so much more sort of experience invested into this industry than anyone i work with it is an almost daily occurrence that somebody who's been making games for two years, four years, some small amount of time, will tell me something I know nothing about, will tell me something that's being done by somebody else that is completely out of bounds of what I thought was possible or even a good idea, and show me... And, 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 and you just... It, it's a constant, humbling experience of knowing that your experience is largely inconsequential and it's brought me full circle back around to being a young developer again and lately on this podcast or in my live streams or in developing my games or anything I'm doing I'm 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 feeling very ignorant I'm feeling very new at all of this I'm feeling like there are people who've been you know, doing this longer than me, and they've only been doing it a year or two because what I'm doing is so new. And that's great. I have to embrace that. It is the joy of ignorance. It's the joy of being back in a place again where I can have wonder and I can look at something that the 18-year-old, 20-year-old kid is up to and say, wow, I wish I could do that. Hey, you know what? I bet I could do that. And I bet I could do it better. And getting back to that space, that's that's just a joy. And it's 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 a joy that's 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 stressful and it's and it's and it's hard. And if you let your ego step in, you can't enjoy it properly. But if you can put all of that aside, every day is this wonderful new thing. And and I'm feeling that lately. So I want to thank everyone who's been involved in this experiment with my podcast. I hope that I can continue to improve it. Uh, I'm looking forward to your suggestions and all of your other stuff. And if you're enjoying this, if you want to help out, if you want to be part of this, uh, we have a Discord. And by all means, go check out the Discord. Go uh, you know, chat with us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, give us some more feedback. 
And as always, if you want to help out the podcast, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about it. Go and give us a rating on wherever you found it, whether it was on the iTunes store or the wherever. Uh, make sure that you're putting a link to us in your Facebook, in your Twitter, or whatever. Let people know that you're enjoying this, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.